Hi, welcome to In The Pink, sponsored by Bose. Stay home, stay healthy, stay connected. Let's just talk about your, about your career and, and the, the, the various highs and lows that you had to deal with. Um, you did retire at 34, which does seem, by today's standards, very young. I mean, Seb, we, he may even retire now at 32. Um, who knows, he may take a sabbatical. Was there ever a chance that you would come back to the sport after retirement? Never. I n- I've never missed it one day. Uh, I got chances to go several times uh, to go back into racing for considerably more money than I'd ever seen as a racing driver. But it never appealed to me at all. I, I, I was living a, a, a really exciting life because I was one of the lucky ones that came in at a time when the commercial side of motor racing really came in big time. So motor racing is probably on a different scale than almost any other sport because of the commercialization on it. It's not just cars, it's fuel and oil companies, it's time rubber companies, electronic companies. Nowadays, you know, all sorts of other high technology things. And it's colorful, glamorous, and exciting to that company. So the chairman and the CEO all have to come to a Grand Prix or a main race. And so oh, you're not going without me, says the wife. Because she likes the glamour, the colour and the excitement and the danger to some extent. It's it's an atmosphere. And when you're mixing with these people, as long as you behave yourself, you drive well, you dress appropriately and you behave yourself again, you get invited back. So whether in my case... Because King Hussein of Jordan was a mammoth enthusiast of motorsport and sort of adopted me and came to so many races with me. And I went to Jordan and he would send a golf stream for me way back in these days to go to Jordan with Helen. And he would come to races and come to our home. This home here, I built two helipads because of King Hussein. Because when he came... It was at the time of the first um, Middle Eastern war. And the, the government wouldn't allow him to fly his helicopter without a, a, a support vehicle behind him. And it was a gunship. And I had to buy uh, put two, you know. So King Hussein, getting to be with a man like that, I learned so much with, like, from him or the chairman of British Airways, Lord King at that time, giant of a man. So you're mixing with the Henry Fords or the King Husseins or, or, or lots of other people similar. And you're learning so much because of your sport. They're intoxicated by your sport. And you're thinking to yourself, my goodness, I have to wake up here. I've got King Hussein beside me or, 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 or the Queen of, of Jordan. Uh, so... That's why racing drivers are lucky. You don't get a football player as often getting that opportunity or anybody, even a cyclist or anybody else. Motor racing from that point of view is an enormous magnet. And if you service it correctly, you get access to things that you would otherwise never get. And that's where I got all the pleasure and 
excitement and colour of our life, never mind financial. Um, so therefore I had long-term relationships now with Heineken, for example, and still with Rolex and still 51 years with Moet and Chandel because I was the first to spray champagne in Formula One. And you were the very first. I was the first. French Grand Prix, 1969. Uh, the Count Frederick Chandon was at the race, and I think it was Mitterrand who presented the trophy, and he said, well, you should, we should uh, open the champagne and put the champagne so you can celebrate your victory. And they had left the bottle, a double magnum of champagne, on the podium from before the beginning of the race. And it was like, you know, it was a hot, hot day. When I undid the cork, the thing went, it must have gone 50 feet in the air. So I put my fingers on it, to Scotsman, to save the champagne. And of course, the champagne went further. And Mitterrand got soaked, so did Fred Chandon and everybody else. And Chandon said to me after, oh, Jackie, you've got to do this for every Grand Prix. I'll give you a contract. In 1960. Six. No, no, 69. French Grand Prix. Clement Ferrand. And I'm still, I, I was on the board of Morton Chandon here in the United Kingdom for uh, 25 years. Um, and I'm still, I still have a relationship. So these relationships come, you've got to service them correctly. And, and it doesn't, you know, there's, you, there's no free lunches. You've got to work at what you do and you've got to deliver. So whether it's a racing car or whether it's one of the commercial relationships of a sponsorship, uh, and when that started, you know, Philip Morris, I mean, uh, you know, all the top drivers drove for Philip Morris. I never did, but that's where the money was. And, uh, you know, the racing drivers have a, a better opportunity of making it after. I think Vettel could be very successful because he's very well spoken he speaks languages something i can't do um and he's a very charming young man and he's been world champion a few times and i i think he can do well and i think lewis will finish driving and he'll go into music or, or fashion or entertainment or something and he'll be hugely successful because he'll he'll, he'll not want to lose yeah, you know yeah. he's been he's been winning up here. What does he do? He doesn't want to start losing when he retires. So he'll try harder and he'll do better than everybody else. I, I mean, it's. I love that champagne story because you would think in that moment they might say, "What are you doing? You're wasting the champagne." But I loved his foresight that actually this was, you know, a moment to be captured. Yeah, I can't say my everything. idea. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my idea, it was his. Oh, that's yeah, 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 yeah. But it was your thriftiness trying to keep the champagne in, you see. <laughs> well, that's, that's Scottish. The great Scott, <laughs> again, the great Scott strikes again. Brilliant. I've heard you talk before about this kaleidoscope of life. And, you know, it really strikes me that whenever I've seen you at race circuits and, and you relentless in your travel and your networking and you're talking to people but that seems to make you thrive that you seem to feed off that you seem to enjoy that even all these years after your retirement um 
I mean, it's, 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 it's wonderful to see you give so much to the sport and also get so much from it as well. Yeah, uh, it, because I'm with blue chip companies. And, yeah. and therefore, when I go to a Grand Prix, I'm, I'm, you know, with Rolex and Heineken, for example, I'm dealing with senior management all the time and, and they're global people. I think that's why I say it, it's Formula One attracts people of that kind. Uh, and it's, it, it, it's, and by the way, you know, we can take them down to the garage and we, we can take them sometimes other places that I can take them that maybe some other people can't. But they can't get into the changing room at Wimbledon. And nor would you know? they want to. might be a bit you smelly. You know what I'm saying? Formula yeah, One's very open. It's definitely got a mystique about it, though. It's, you know, and it must be something to do with the jeopardy, that, that edge to the atmosphere that other sports probably can't quite create in the same way. Well, some of it's the speed. Yeah. Some of it's the noise. Some of it's the danger. Nobody likes to see anybody die. No. But don't mind seeing a few accidents. That's very spectacular. And that, that's very magnetic. Um, I, I think that's part of it. Speed. You know, people who are traveling at over 200 miles an hour, you think, wow, this is unbelievable. And then we can take those people down and actually meet the, the guests, meet those same people who have just come from doing 200 miles an hour sort of thing. And that's very intoxicating. Mm. I mean, when I met Muhammad Ali for the first time, I thought, oh my God, I'm talking to Muhammad Ali. Uh, it was... Uh, so therefore, if they talk to Lewis today, or if they talk to anybody, all the top line drivers, they're intoxicated by their success, by their lifestyle, by the, ex I mean, because everybody's pushing and shoving to get, not autographs today, selfies. Uh, for every one autograph I will do at a Grand Prix, I'll do 10 selfies. Uh, so anyway, people like that. And that's why Formula One is different. Because, you know, the greatest tennis player in the world, Roger Federer, another Rolex man, by the way, um, you know, he comes from the dressing room and he goes on the court. And on the, everybody will applaud him. And when he comes off the court, win or lose, they'll be wanting them to sign tennis balls or autographs and so forth. And then he goes into the dressing room and they don't see him again. Mm. The golfers, the same thing. There's no contact. In Formula One, somehow or other, think of Monza, think of Brazil, think of Argentina, think of, no, so much today in Argentina, but Mexico. The, the crowd come on just to see the podium, but there's 500,000 people almost in Monza and so forth, and they're all absolutely desperately just want to see their winner or their podium finisher or one of the team principals. So that the excitement, somehow or other, the chemistry in Formula One is complete. I mean, I've done a lot of NASCAR races and I've done Indianapolis as a commentator as well as a driver. It's nothing like Formula One, the actual passion. And, and Italy was where it started, that real hot passion. Now the Brazilians are like it. Now that when we go to Mexico, it's terrific. And every country, Britain takes longer to get everybody on front of the podium than these other countries. 
the passion the British are a little more reserved the Italians aren't let's bring it up to today because I totally agree that that enthusiasm and passion is infectious uh, you it is intoxicating it's all the words that you describe it as um, let's talk about your view of the current grid and what would have been this weekend the Monaco Grand Prix a magical place uh, first of all just tell us why it is such a special one to win first of all it's the I think it's the jewel in the crown of all of the races we go to it's been there for 90 years Monaco as a, a place of motorsport um, all the great drivers have won there the principality Prince Rainey and then the Princess Grace, Her Serene Highness, actually lit that place up. Everybody's close to the race. You're right up against it. The noise, the smell, the whole thing is so magical. Uh, you know, in my day, um, the night before the Grand Prix, Saturday night, we would all, all the Grand Prix drivers would be, or maybe not every one of them, but nearly every one of them, would be invited to the palace for a black tie dinner. We all went. And in my life, because I won there twice or four times, um, I would sit beside Princess Grace, or I'd be sitting beside David Niven, or I'd be sitting beside Frank Sinatra, or I'd be sitting with Cary Grant, or, because she, was a magnetic woman and the principality was a magnetic destination and we would all do it and we would excuse ourselves at half past 11 at night or something to go back to sleep for the day next day's race that doesn't happen anymore they have a cocktail party but it's not black tie and it's not in the palace it's in the courtyard of the palace and most of the people don't have a tie on there's no formality left. That formality was a magical part of their serene highnesses. Now that sort of thing was happening in Spain. The King of Spain, still ex-King of Spain now, comes to still a lot of races. And he, I met him before he was king. He came to all of the Spanish Grand Prix and some others, including Monaco. When somebody like that comes along, that's part of Formula One. It's exciting, it's glamorous, and it's, it's real. And the swinging 60s and 70s of where I lived, I mean, I met the Beatles there. I met the Rolling Stones there for the first time. I met Peter Sellers there. I mean, well, I say Cary Grant, Elizabeth Taylor. I brought her to the race one year. That period was so colourful, glamorous, and exciting. That's where Monaco was the capital. The British Grand Prix, the history is magnificent. The first ever Grand Prix was held at Silverstone, and it should also always be at Silverstone. Because you've got to recognise history. You've got to recognise achievement. And Monaco has done it for longer than anybody else. And... You know, there are special racetracks like the old Nürburgring and things like that, but that's gone because it became unacceptably dangerous. But Monaco's still there. And, and if you win the race, I mean, even the Formula One race, when I won the Formula One race, first time I'd ever raced outside of the country, I won it for Ken Tillon, the wee Cooper thing. And on the Sunday, 
Kentel told me before we went, you've got to bring your black tie. So I had to have a black tie, a dinner jacket. I won the Formula 3 race. I'm sitting on the left-hand side of Princess Grace on Sunday night. Helen's sitting on the right-hand side of, of, of Prince Rainey and Betty Hill and Graham Hill on the left hand of what the, the right protocol. So the Formula One driver and his wife and the Formula Three driver and his wife are sitting at the top table with a thousand people in the room. Now, that was magic for a wee man like me from Dumbarton <laughs> to be sitting beside one of the most beautiful women in the world. And, you know, from that, I brought Sean Connery to the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, Roman Polanski came with me when he made his film on me. So why did they go to Monte Carlo? Because it was the most glamorous, the most colorful and the most exciting, the Mediterranean. Nearchos would come up to the pits. I would get him tickets for the pits and he would come and he wanted to sit in my car and he wanted to start the engine. Well, Ken Tittle did all of that. And that's the color, that's what makes the thing bigger. And today, when I go to the British Grand Prix, the Duke of Kent is the honorary president of the British Racing Drivers Club, the BRDC. I always take him to the pits and the paddock to meet the drivers. And he's thrilled to meet them, and they're usually thrilled to meet him. And I, I don't know whether it's the same in the Tour de France. I don't know if it's the same in other things. But not too many people get into the, the locker room of Manchester City. You know, it just doesn't happen the same way. Formula One's amazing for that. Mm. Some very special memories there. And as you say, you've not done bad for a, a wee dyslexic boy from Dumbarton. You must pinch yourself <laughs> even now. No, it's, it's been a wonderful trip. I mean, uh, I'm as happy as a lark. Um, I'm, you know, I've got lovely houses and things like that. Um, the sport has been enormously kind to me. And luckily the companies that I, I had associations with have kept me. And they're all blue chips. So therefore, you still meet the best people and you still go to the best places. And it's, um, it's been a great trip. Well, it's a trip that is far from over. And so, Jackie, the sport has given you a lot. But I can say, as a young fan and now working in the sport, still a fan, that you continue to give Formula One so very much of yourself, which is invaluable. So on behalf of all the fans, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure Thank I can you. speak on behalf of everyone. Uh, listen, what a pleasure to talk to you today. Um, we've missed you. We've missed Formula One. Hopefully, we can get back racing soon, and hopefully, we'll see you at a racetrack very, very soon indeed. Well, I hope so. Yeah, I see today in the mail, by the way, um, that they're being very negative about the Grand Prix happening in Silverstone. I know. I saw that as well. Yeah. I hope that doesn't happen. That that yeah. should not be allowed. You know, you can't. That's why you've got to have quality, and you've got to have integrity, and you've got to have. You've got to remember history as well. Yeah. So you know, it would be a mistake 
would, it would in any case be sad to have no spectators there. Mm. But not to have a British Grand Prix, when you consider that Britain started Formula One Grand Prix racing, it was the first time ever that there was a World Championship Formula One race. And it's had such a strong history with tremendous attendances always. Uh, to lose that, I think, would be a disaster for motorsport. I think if they're not careful, that could be the beginning of not such a good time. Mm. Well, fingers crossed. Let's hope so. Let's hope it um, gets back onto the camera. Oh, there you are. Your there husband's you are. still putting up with you? Only just. Yeah, well, I would have expected that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. And same Take to care. you. Bye-bye. Bye. All the best. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to In The Pink. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast you've listened to so far. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Check out our Instagram page at in underscore the underscore pink. And you get all the details there about how you can win some of those Bose noise cancelling headphones. And join the community. We're all talking about the various guests that we've had on the podcast and who we'd like to see and hear in the next few weeks. So thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Stay healthy. Stay home. Stay connected with Bose.